fashion uh, a little bit. Like I've been working out, so I've got like small like, arms, but uh, belly too. So I'm looking a buff dad. I put on like half a second of my It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's good as Christmas. Well, should we do should we do a little intro? Um, yeah. um, we've, we've got Becky in today, and um, Samu can uh, tell you a little bit more um, about how they met. And yeah. um, I'm just really excited to. Daniel's giving me a bit of a background on it, so I'm quite excited to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Becky's story. And... Yeah. So, um, actually, if you want to introduce yourself yeah, okay. and kind of like. Um. So I did. Um, an undergraduate degree in psychology. Um, did that for four years. And then I did a master's in forensic psychology. And now I'm working for the university doing research. Yeah. Um, yeah, you do some, like, you've done some really cool work from what I um, what I remember you telling me. Yeah. Um, it's been like, yeah, we, like I said, you, you and I have known each other for like three or four years now, met through mutual friend and just like in this past of like two years, we've kind of like properly started vibing. Yeah. Um, it's been good fun. But um, I'd be really, really curious to know, um, we kind of like talked about this a bit, bit before, but like what drew you to psychology originally? Like what was important about it? Originally, it was really kind of stupid because <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, so cool. I was really into like crime dramas and <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, I want to get inside of the mind of the criminal. Yeah. And, like, the awesome. end goal was to be a criminal profiler. Then once I started studying it, I realised that that is a completely unrealistic goal. <laughs> it's Oh, it's fine. I wanted to get into medicine because I really liked scrubs. So <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. We all get into these things for stupid reasons. And then... When you say, when you say it's, like, a, an unrealistic goal to be uh, yeah, a profiler of criminal... Profiler criminals what do you mean by that um so we had a guest lecturer in him he was one of the people who kind of started the criminal profiling unit um and basically he said that there's only four of them in the whole of the uk and their opinion is like not valued at all by police so they said they've been called in after psychics and stuff (laughs) so and yeah they just they don't get any funding and Mm. this everything yeah their opinion is just not like valued and yeah there's just no jobs in it because there's no funding and yeah it's just a vicious cycle yeah for sure like wow. there's a similar thing with like sketch artists isn't there in that like forensic world that they're like not huge as much as like in the shows they're like well we've got a sketch artist yeah. in and they've drawn a perfect image of like what how someone's described but actually in reality sketch artists are usually wildly wrong mm-hmm. um and, and get the wrong person so they kind of like I'm not saying I was going to say how do you I'm not saying, I'm not saying <laughs> profilers the wrong I'm not saying profilers are wildly wrong but I'm saying that the um, the police kind of like have their set weights that they, I think they like do stuff because I did um, forensic um, biology back in like school and stuff forensic sciences uh, back in college and like it seems like this police have the way that they want to do things and that's yeah. about it which is a shame um, but yeah so when you came back when you came across that Beck, and you um, you were like, "Oh, so it's not actually the way it like I could go," and like the system uh, doesn't really support like the way I want to go with things. What like what went through your mind? Um, I was just kind of thinking back to like what I enjoyed most in the undergrad, and a lot of that was um, clinical psychology or forensic psychology. So 
um looking back now I kind of realized that like the biggest draw for me was kind of learning about etiology diagnosis and treatment of clinical disorders and especially with people who were involved in crime so forensic clinical psychology is my dream yeah I think it's just fascinating how so what, um, what would that involve um so a lot of it is looking looking at someone who's a perpetrator of a crime and then why they got there how they got there and then instead of just being like okay you've done wrong you're going to go into a prison and we're mm. not going to bother helping you actually trying to treat the problem at hand and kind awesome. of help people to Oh, the um, like rehabilitation, rehabilitation. Rather, rehabilitation rather than incarceration. Yeah, yeah. I am like I'm, restorative practice. Sorry, what? Like restorative practice, kind of um, restorative help instead of um, like punishment. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is, I, I'm, I'm all down for that. I, I, as much as possible, try and believe that you know everyone is worth rehabilitating rather than just like chucking in a prison and being like you're bad therefore stay inside yeah um, looking at why they were bad yeah yeah for sure and especially if they've got like mental health problems yeah know? um so much stuff goes undiagnosed in prisons or in the judicial system yeah yeah it's just it's not people just don't care about it so okay it's something that goes like often there's people who just get undiagnosed and then like what kind of stuff do they get like gets missed so, well, a lot of things is like personality disorder. Mm-hmm. So personality disorder is a really, really hard one to kind of, it's, it's so vague or any, because there's a lot of different personality disorders and then mm. all of them are kind of, yeah, they all kind of blend into each other and stuff, especially borderline personality disorder, which is just an yeah. amalgamation of every disorder. Yeah, I think you and I talked about this before, mm. that, you know, people with borderline personality disorder kind of like, have this stigma and they're all just like medicated the same way treated the same way when actually like it's just kind of like a catch-all term for people who like whose personalities and mentalities don't kind of fit the norm yeah um like like obviously not i think there is no sort of like quote unquote norm but like these are people who like drastically don't fit the norm yeah. but rather than like treating them as a unique individual they kind of just like like oh you've had this thing that you were diagnosed with have this medication you'll be fine yes one of the biggest problems with schizophrenia is that you so you have the the checklist in the dsm and for like diagnosis and then you could present with any one of the symptoms and then as long as you have like three out of the 15 symptoms then your class is having schizophrenia but then you treat you're not treating the symptoms or the root cause you're just treating schizophrenia as a one fits all what, what are the symptoms of schizophrenia? Obviously, there's the one that everyone knows, which is like hallucinations, auditory kind of visual. Or the um, one I knew was like you hear voices in your head, but I guess that's hallucinations. Isn't yeah, it? that'd be um, the auditory, auditory hallucinations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot of um, neurological, like biological indicators of mm. schizophrenia, but it's really poorly understood still. Um, I can't think what the other the, the indicators are, but the, is I the DSM like the Bible. It's the Diagnostical Statistical Manual, and um, a lot of people follow it religiously, so yeah. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. There's two, isn't there? There's, um, yeah, and the other one is the I ugh, International. Yeah, that, that, yeah, I know the one you mean. Yeah. I'm doing a bit of study on it, but the DSM, like one's an American one that we came up with, and one's like the one that the WHO came up with. Yeah, so the DSM is the one we use here. Awesome. But oh yeah there's such like a trying of a movement to move away from diagnosis 
And yeah. I, th- I think it's great. So treating everything as like um, dimensional and on a spectrum rather than taxonic. Yeah. So like, tr- like treating to sort of like make it like just a little bit less jargy. So kind of like treating the symptoms and the causes rather than like labeling it and then treating the label. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. And that, I think that's something that's great. Kind of like treat. It's harder work and it costs probably more time and more manpower to treat every person as an individual. I think we'd all want that. Yeah. You're going to say something, Jake? I was going to say, um, so you said kind of like when people um, get incarcerated or you know, they go into the judicial system, you were talking about there was like some sort of culture um, around like, uh, you know, the, you were saying that they get ignored and it kind of, um, you know, what do you think the culture is around dealing with mental health within the prison system, like from your experience and um where you come into play? So I think that pretty much as soon as someone is labelled as a criminal, then the human rights basically go out the window. Mm. So you're not, it's, it's like you're not treated as a person anymore. You're just treated as a criminal, a bad, someone mm. that's done a bad thing, who's a bad person, and none of the influencing factors are taken into account. So someone could be schizophrenic and they could have started a fire because the voices were telling them to do so. Mm-hmm. And then, but, and then there's also a stigma about people kind of using the insanity plea to get out of mm-hmm. um, punishment. Yeah, which, you should like see it in movies all the yeah. time where they're like, oh, you know, I just, if we act crazy, I put a toilet on my head and yeah. walk around backwards. Like I'll get the insanity plea, but yeah. that's not really Little do they know though that being in a psychiatric hospital is <clears throat> a lot worse than a prison sentence. Mm-hmm, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Cause I think they like, as much as uh, I'm sure, uh, as I've read and like watched documentaries about it, I'm sure in the prison system, like people get dehumanized, but it's, it seems that like they're still kind of communicated as people. But like I feel like in psychiatric prisons, it's a lot more like you're you're a dumb dumb crazy person, and like Mm-mm. psychiatric hospitals are a really weird place because they're presented as if it's somewhere that people are going to get help. Yeah, and. There should be people who work there that are interested in helping. Yeah. But the amount that you see of people who are just, I don't know if it's just working with challenging behavior and stuff like that. And if it just kind of gives, because I know there's a really high burnout rate. Yeah. Like desensitizes you. To, yeah. yeah. But um, a, lot of, yeah. <laughs> a lot of the people that I worked with when I worked in the secure hospital was if it, people just didn't care and they didn't treat them like people, they treated them like patients or like insane people. Mm-hmm. and someone could like, be asking for help and a lot of the staff would just be like oh no don't worry it's just your autism playing up and <laughs> it's, it was it was so bad yeah uh, what so that's from you working we won't obviously use any names but that's from you working in the um in a psychiatric ward right yeah what, what kind of like changed for you like your understanding of like those kind of people and stuff through the through working there like what was it, what was the biggest kind of things that came out for you? The biggest thing was seeing how normal they are for most of the time. Mm-hmm. So when you think of a psychiatric hospital, you think about people rolling around in padded rooms 24 hours a day. But and as fun as that sounds. Yeah, as fun <laughs> as that sounds. But, um, most of it, they're, they're normal people. They just have bad periods, but they're treated as if they're in the bad period all the time. Mm. But the most part you're having a conversation with someone and it's like as if you were having a conversation with your neighbor or your friend yeah and they're just normal people they just have a lot more going on under the scenes that you can't kind of understand mm-hmm. 
what kind of like changed for you when you were like, so you had this kind of this shift into doing that 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 kind of work, and you were like, okay, now I'm I'm here. Did your did your did you feel like your purpose changed around it, and did you like notice a difference in how maybe like you saw you saw the things and uh, how it was so contrasting to what the culture thought it was? I think it made me develop empathy. <laughs> so before I worked there, I always thought like I was just fascinated by people with clinical disorders. It was just like a kind of morbid curiosity more than mm. anything else. Mm. But then when I started working there, I kind of really developed like genuine empathy and a genuine interest in helping people rather than doing it because it interested me. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I think I, that's a, yeah, I think that's a, a really... Uh, and I love your honesty as well, because I think, you know, other people might come from the same, you know, might be cut from a similar cloth in the beginning. You know, they're, they're interested in like, you know, diagnosing something or, you know, they're a great problem solver. And that's why they became a doctor or something or why they, you know, decided to be an engineer. But, you know, with that, with that responsibility that you have, I guess there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of care and empathy that has to be put in place there to before you even you know think about looking at that looking at what their problems are and, mm. and what yeah they, you kind of like you want to empathize with them first and understand them before you try and start solving any problems yeah and like the awesome thing is like you know you say you went in sort of with apathy or lack of empathy and um it, i imagine like you say it'd be so easy to go in there and just stay apathetic yeah and so it's obviously like really awesome that you when you went in and you were like oh like I, I see these people struggling and like maybe I relate with some of them and like yeah you know, like, like, like you say you, you saw them as human beings which just like surprised you and then you're like I never thought I'd care about other people but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah no, like uh, like it was crazy like I remember you know we obviously had like loads of fun when you and I first started hanging out but I remember when you started working at to catch it like seeing that change in you like yeah you kind of you kind of like got empathy with them and then you kind of like started to do it more with your friends and you would like check in on us more and like made sure that I was okay and all yeah. this kind of stuff and it was really cool. And it makes you kind of reflect on yourself a lot more as well. Like mm. you see things in other people and then you think like, oh, that's a bit of like a red flag. I know that I do that sometimes. And mm. it kind of, it just makes you think a lot more about a lot of different things. Yeah, like we all, we all have mental health issues. Um, mental health is a spectrum. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're all, you know, on on the on certain spectrums, certain places. Yeah, I know I have like tendencies towards like ADHD and like dyspraxia and like um, Asperger's and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like we're all we're all somewhere on the you end know, with anxiety and depression. So we're all somewhere on that spectrum. We're none of us are like completely free of any yeah. of it. What would you What do you think the stuff um, that 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 people who are listening to this that they that they really need to know about um, in regards to like how they see the work within um, like within the judicial system as a clinical psychologist and um, within forensics. What would you, yeah, what would you want to change about people's perspective? Um, for people to understand that like 90% of the time people with mental illnesses are victims, not perpetrators. Yeah. Like if you actually read up about the stats, it's insane. The And the media portrayal of it, it's so inverted. So... I think that'd be like my take-home message is don't believe the media. <laughs> yeah. Listen to actual research statistics and 
just uh, just care about people who have mental health <laughs> who have mm. mental health problems because it's not fun and it doesn't get treated with or it doesn't get dealt with the way that it should so i'm just curious about like whether or not um you said about sort of perpetrators versus victims do you know about like psychopaths and like sociopaths because that's the one like can they they're the ones that get the real bad stigma that's why people will have it sort of like like oh sociopaths they're the ones that kind of fuck everyone up so with psychopathy um yeah the crime rates are really really high depend dependent on what kind of psychopath you are because um there's there's so many different conflicting theories but mm-hmm. the one that i adhere to is that there's um primary and secondary psychopathy primary being more kind of manipulative lack of empathy callous and then secondary being impulsive parasitic lifestyle that kind of thing so um secondary psychopathy like because of the impulsivity that ties in with crime and Mm. perpetration of crime quite hand in hand um and then with primary psychopathy um i heard some research before saying that there's not as much it's not so much that there's not as much crime it's just they're smarter about it because mm. they're not as impulsive and they're more meticulous and calculating so right. it's they're more likely to get away with it okay but but like are those kind of people who have that sort of like kind of going back to what we were saying earlier but they have that like disconnect from empathy the vast majority of people who have like mental issues that get involved in crime are actually non non-violent they're not the perpetrators they're the victims yeah um so yeah you just, it's uh it's crazy to me um yeah you got anything jake you said you had some more questions yeah do you do you find um that with when you look at the spectrum of like psychopaths obviously they sit somewhere on like the con they're like quite conscientious uh people they're like very duty driven and like you said they have like no empathy if you if um you know do you i don't know there's a question here around like if because there's a cult, you know, remember the the kind of culture of if someone was kind of crazy, they'd be called skits. And it's kind of like a, mm-hmm. like a, la- like a language that was used by... Or, or psycho. Or, or psycho, yeah. Like if, you know, and, and, you know, for us to use those, I'm trying to work out, like, how do we reframe and have conversations about topics like this with um, people in the public? What's, what's the sort of like right language to use? Is that what you're kind of trying to yeah, get? Yeah, and and you know, is it good? Is it good practice to say, you know, to leave it alone and say, oh, actually, you know, we're not we're not trained clinical psychologists. We shouldn't try and diagnose someone because, you know, whether they're a narcissist or or, or like a, or, uh, you know, a sociopath or, you know, do you see what I'm getting? What what I mean by the question? No, <laughs> like, give give us another give us another run at it. So kind of like. Basically, you know how how from a from a clinical psychological psychological point of view, how would you how would you educate someone like on a on a psychopath? Is it like to know if they were one, and oh, okay. and also kind of like is, how is it you... our responsibility or like or is your advice to kind of be like don't bother trying to diagnose because you're not a trained. Yeah, so if anyone's ever read The Psychopath Test by John Ronson, being it, it's garbage. Mm-hmm. So that's basically a journalist who tried, he did, took a two-day course with the PCLR and tried to, thought he, he knew everything about psychopathy and then thought he was able to diagnose psychopaths. So don't do that, is my solid advice. 
because um, that book just made me angry. Um, yeah, and there's also like certain like um, you and I have talked about it before. The, there's a, a a lecturer, isn't there, who described or a professor who like just diagnosed himself as a psychopath. Yeah, and he came up with a test for it, <sighs> and it ended up being like inaccurate. What is his name? Well, I think I think the kind of like I'll let you, what do you think? Um, I think kind of from my understanding of it, it's important to like not try and diagnose anyone that's around you. Yeah. Um, or be aware of it. Like obviously, if they have they start to have problematic traits and it does begin to like seriously worry you, obviously talk to someone about it. But I think that uh, I think especially you said the primary type of psychopathy, they're so meticulous and so charming and so sort of able to sort of get through stuff that. Um, you probably wouldn't notice anyway. Yeah. And then the sort of second type is just a, an impulsive person. We And loads of us know impulsive people. So um, I don't think there's, there's any, uh, obviously tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's any worth in any of us who aren't trained in it trying to diagnose anyone. No, definitely not. Because um, diagnosing someone isn't going to benefit you really. Mm, so yeah. there's not much point. It's worth it from yeah. like a clinical research kind of like perspective. Yeah. But obviously when it's trained professionals doing so, mm-hmm. So, because there's a lot of stigma that comes with having a diagnosis of of psychopathy. Yeah. And to tag someone with that, and then for them to have all the repercussions of the stigma, it's not fair. Well, for sure, because that's something um, that I've heard about. It's like similar to what you're saying about schizophrenics, but that you know, once you, because I think if correct me wrong, psychopathy is also a spectrum, right? I'd say so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like you know, even if you get diagnosed as a psychopath, you immediately get to, you immediately get grouped in and like just labelled as a psychopath, and you're put in this group of some you know some really horrible people who have done some crazy stuff. But you may not be that. You know there are plenty of people who have that diagnosis who aren't that kind of person yeah. that they don't want. They have no urge to do that, and they are like a perfectly functional person in society. Um, so then as soon as they get that stigma though, that like you say that 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 label and that stigma, they get then treated with all this medication stuff and treated as if they're like going to do something crazy, um, which I don't think is particularly fair. It's like with um, antisocial personality disorder, I think within that there's maybe 1% of people who also qualify for psychopathy and mm-hmm. um, Robert here coined the term dangerous dudes for them, which <laughs> I thought was really good. Dangerous but, dudes. Yeah. But, uh, Are they all dudes? That's what I want that's, to know. That's the question. Psychopathy is a lot less prevalent in females. Ah, cool. That's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> there's a yeah. massive sex split in it. So I guess there's, there's a, this kind of like leads on to a question. Is that Samuel? Maybe they're just, uh, maybe they're just better. Or... Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Jane. I was just like, you should come like, on. They were, they were. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot um, fewer women. I was like, maybe they're just better at being psychopaths, and uh, they're more careful. Sorry, Jake. What would you say? No, nah, who knows? Uh, I guess kind of like. A link into like Samuel mentioned about your dissertation that you did um, for your undergrad. Yeah. Um, what could you tell us a, like a little bit about that and and like why you thought it was important to do that as a dissertation and yeah, well, like, yeah, what, how, what, how, yeah. Like what moved you into the practice that you wanted to go into? Okay, so um, my dis was about. Um, it was very evolutionary psychology based and it was about um, primary and secondary psychopathy and mating preference. So I was trying to look at, um, it's called assortative mating. So it's where primary psychopaths would couple up with primary psychopaths and secondary with secondary. So same as 
how yeah you find people with similar traits to yourself when you're mm -hmm. kind of looking for a mate and um mm -hmm. i was looking at the research on it and it was fascinating and it turned out that um a lot of primary psychopaths tended to choose secondary psychopaths and secondary chose secondary as well so there was not very much primary on primary which mm. i thought was really interesting so what? to sort of reframe it, the more impulsive psychopaths they were drawn to the more impulsive psychopaths, whereas yeah. like the more meticulous, like careful ones didn't really... Were they... Uh, were, I don't know if your study showed this, but did it show at all whether or not they were like a fairly still the sort of a similar level of sexually active or like were they less sexually active? I'm so sure. the general consensus is that secondary psychop um, psychopaths are more sexually active and which, more like promiscuous. And, which tracks with the impulsivity. Yeah. yeah. And like there's um, a much higher prevalence of STDs with secondary psychopaths and stuff. But um, I think the interesting thing that I found was that um, some of the kind of reasoning that I found as to why I found what I did was that primary psychopaths were attracted to secondary psychopaths because it was easier to exploit them. Because uh, of the impulsivity. Wow. Yeah. That's insane. So well, I thought so that was cool. They're looking for like the power dynamic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then it was also a massive difference between like short-term and long-term um, mating preference. So pretty much every band of psychopath goes for short-term. <laughs> yeah. And in practice, like, how would you, how, like, where did you want to take what, what you learned from, from doing your dissertation? Because it's quite a big project, isn't it? It's yeah. like, a, you know, and you, you write at least 10,000 words. Um, you wrote you know, more than that, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, but you have to write at least 10 and then you know, you could do like 30,000 or, you know, whatever. Yeah. For you, like, where did the, like, those learnings take you into into the practice that you wanted to do? Um, so I think one of the, like, because what I researched was more out of kind of just random curiosity rather than practical application. So there wasn't mm -hmm. much real world application for my research, aside from kind of, highlighting the risk of STDs and stuff like this. So if you can kind of educate the layperson on kind of warning signs of psychopathy and it can, it can limit the tra like transaction of um, STDs and th th there's a lot of abusive relationships with psychopathy, shock. <laughs> and, yeah, that's um, a lack of empathy leading to abusiveness. Yeah. So, unsurprising. So kind of just educating people as in relation to like the warning signs of psychopathy and kind of how to identify like, oh, I'm in an unhealthy relationship with someone who displays a lot of these traits, whether or not they're a clinical psychopath or not. If you have psych, because 90% of the population have psychopathic traits. And wow, that's a lot. Yeah, like that's not yeah. like a hard figure, yeah. but like. 19. Yeah, yeah. 19, but it's, 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 Oh, like everyone's traits. got psychopathic oh, traits yeah, yeah. on the spectrum. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I think everyone. Some of us have like a certain degree of like. Sometimes we're just like I don't like. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Using this phrasing, but like, I just don't give a shit. Kind of like yeah. just that like level of the ability to just like switch off your emotions and just be like, I'm gonna get this thing done. It's like waking in the coffee shop and someone comes in crying and you're like, I don't care. Yeah, like yeah, everyone's yeah. got that kind of. Sure. It may not be all the time, but someone, everyone has that to a degree. Mm -hmm. uh, What's that? What does that say for us? Is as humans, do you think that we have that, and what's the kind of use of it? Oh, the, of oh, what the use of psychopathy? Yeah, 
oh, this is mm-hmm. an absolute tin of worms. So um, from like an evolutionary perspective, um, psychopathy is an evolved adaptation towards um, kind of mate selection. And so with primary psychopathy, because of the manipulation levels and lack of empathy and stuff, because you're not going to get attached to your mate. So everything goes back to increasing what's called fitness, which is mm-hmm. how many children you have. Mm-hmm. So as a male psychopath in ancestral times, you're going to sleep with whoever, get as many babies as you can. Yeah. And then yeah. you're passing on your genetics and that's as much parental investment as you have in that topic. And like, as, and it might be, you know, this might be a bit of a trigger for some people and, and uh, might be painful, but like, uh, imagine psychopaths are capable of consensual and non-consensual. Oh, psychopathy and rapists. Like. Yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah. So that would definitely increase your chances of your genes being carried yeah, on. Yeah, and that's, yeah. I mean, that psychopathy and rape, that um, comes into it, like, there's so many evolutionary papers about psychopathy and rape because it's so interlinked. Mm-hmm. It's, it's horrible, but it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think, thanks for making the connection as well, it's, you know, as, as how it's kind of come through. And it's really interesting, actually, that we started talking about the perpetrators now rather than talking about yeah. the victims. victims yeah. yeah, well, I think... Uh, because it's cu- so ingrained you know, in us. It's the culture, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, yeah for trying sure. Trying to work out the, the, the oppressor. Um, yeah. Well, this, all, that, all this, like, you know, making a murderer, true crime, all that kind of stuff, like, really draws us into that, like, mentality. And it's like, there's a part of us, like, I think you and I, um, saying, saying this to Becky, I like, have this kind of, like, definitely have the same sort of, like, morbid curiosity about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, we, you know, we like the creepy, freaky stuff that goes on. Um and like and so and I think so many of us relate to that and I I, I wonder why that is but yeah so, that's one thing I've always been interested in. Oh sorry, I was just saying that's something I've always been interested in is trying to understand why I'm interested in this kind of stuff. Yeah. So yeah. like Ted Bundy, fascinated by him. He's a mm-hmm. horrible, horrible man, but I am fascinated by him. Charles Manson, I did my um did a with my uh, lectures and diploma did, did a whole like write up about him. Mm-mm. Yeah. And like this, I can't understand why we're so drawn to this kind of person. Like, I I wonder because like, uh, this is a speculation, but like, I wonder if it's so either something to do with like protecting ourselves. So if we know the danger, then we're safer. Yeah. Or if it's like, and maybe it's a combination too. Or if it's like, we we all like you said, earlier, we all have these tendencies, and whether it's like a be able to see it in other people is like, I hate, I don't want to use the word cathartic, but like kind of you get to see that experience without doing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like, like curiously through someone else. So. Yeah. Yeah. But like in the same way that like people play video games where they kill people and stuff, yeah. you know, like no one would actually, none of these people would actually do it, but it's kind of like getting out that urge to do it. Mm. I think for me, it's kind of like, because I don't understand it. So things like infanticide, kind of overriding that evolutionary hard-written rule of do not kill your children. keep children alive, yeah. To do that, like, because I can't fathom it, I can't understand it, it makes me, I'm so interested in it because I want to understand it. That's, yeah, and that's a real human thing, that, like, need to understand and comprehend Mm. and label something. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's really interesting but I think I think it's uh, what you said Jake was a really interesting note it's just how we are drawn yeah we started off talking about how like we should reduce the stigma about yeah. people with um, 
mental health issues that get you know incarcerated and then we spent half of us talking about those that that what was it what was the percentage that like the majority of people do you know off the top of your head like victim versus perpetrator or no oh, i don't know i don't know like for a hard figure but um but like you know we've it's na- wildly invaded. we're now that like we're now focusing on that tiny percentage mm-hmm. um yeah. because well, i guess the question now then is if we're going to be you know changing this this culture around it where do you see it where do you see the movement going around like how we view the the support of like uh people who are you know having some compassion for people who have uh, been pushed into the judicial system or been incarcerated yeah those that don't have like psychopathy associated like the the depressed the anxious the yeah it's definitely improving so i know that police are now being trained like how to kind of well they're just being trained in like very basic generic mental health kind of identifying warning signals and because there's so much like suicide throughout the judicial system as well so kind of just taking the time to think why is this person in this prison cell like why Mm. did i have to arrest this person for starting a fire is it because they're drunk and they just wanted to do it because it's fun Mm -hmm. or is it because of an amalgamation of underlying issues yeah because like as much as everyone sort of like jokes about it and stuff and everyone's like well oh, I'm, I'm a pyromaniac like pyromania is a real it's thing it's a real thing and it's, it's real like diagnosable like some people just have this like insatiable urge and see sometimes it's schizophrenia sometimes other other like psychological factors but like some people have this like uncontrollable urge to set things on fire and i think you know you can easily be charged for grand arson or just like regular arson and just be thrown in prison but actually getting them not just putting them in because you're saying some of the sort of like psych psychopathic so we're looking for the the wards that like help try to help people who are incarcerated. Oh, psychiatric units. Psychiatric, thank you. Psychiatric units. Um, even though some of them are like quite bad at like helping people, you you hope that they rather than going straight into prison or being put in a place where they can't get help, like actually being put in a place where they can be rehabilitated. Yeah. Um, I think that's the that's for me like the main takeaway is rehabilitation rather than incarceration. Definitely. Yeah, it's like because yeah. there's so many kind of documentaries about like paedophilia and stuff and even though that is probably one of the most heinous crimes it's you've still got to kind of get like you've got to override your instinct to just be like no you're horrible you're a bad person you've done this bad thing because that's what kind of society kind of dictates to you how you must feel about paedophiles Mm. but they've done that for a reason it's not like it's it's not a for say for a better word like natural for sure there's like some studies that show that like being gay or bi or trans there is a genetic component to it too um pedophilia that there's like a genetic from what i've I've even if it's not even genetic even if it's like environmentally influenced like yeah because so many people who are pedophiles were abused in their childhood so Mm. because it becomes a norm to them it's kind of that's how they feel that's how they were taught to express feelings and love so that's how they do it Mm-hmm. but people just don't want to take the time to kind of understand that or treat that and um, it's I, a shame I remember I was watching a Louis Theroux oh my god I love Louis Theroux I know you love Louis Theroux I knew, as, soon as, <laughs> I knew as soon as I thought about it I was like I'm going to say Louis Theroux and she's going to say that she loves it um, uh, he did one on like uh, sex offenders and there's this great interview that he did with this one man actually there's two different people that were kind of similar there's one guy who had this like he was like a flasher he had this like desperate need to he'd like see an attractive woman and then his mind would just switch and he would just be like I've just got a I've got a I've got a flasher I've got a flasher 
Um, and he'd like tried multiple different versions of like chemical castration, um, which is to like kind of stop chemically prevent you from having your sexual urge and they didn't work. And he'd gotten to a point where like, you know, he was on the verge of like contemplating suicide, and, but mostly on the verge of like physically removing his genitalia in order to stop that urge from happening because he didn't, he didn't, he didn't want, as soon as it was over, he hated himself. Yeah. For it. He didn't want it. He didn't like what it turned him into. But for whatever reason, like either environmental, genetic or chemical, there was something that overtook him that forced him to do it. Um, and that's not to discount the experiences of his victims. Yeah. Um, but it's still um, that stigma around just, oh, he's bad, put him away. He knows he's bad. He feels bad too. Um, There's another gentleman interviewed that he was um, a multiple sex offender who kind of told a similar story. And he was like, I just don't want to exist anymore. I don't want to live with the things that I've done. Um, so it's not like they do it and they're like ha 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 yeah, yeah. They, they feel such there is regret with a lot of them like, granted yeah. there are some with it's not but like a majority you've, you've just got to think why why did they get to where they are why are they doing this mm-hmm. and there's nine times out of ten there's some kind of pathway that has taken them there which kind of makes sense when you really dissect it yeah but it can be really hard to like dis like kind of like dissociate that person from their crimes yeah it's like you know the the things that they do are horrible yeah like, that's the problem it's like the things that they do are horrible and they're like they're some of the worst things you can do as a human being so to then try and be like yes but they're still a human being and they're still a victim of themselves yeah. or of their life or of their biology they're like, like it's the same with like people who commit crime because of mental illness like they're a victim of an illness yeah like so, they even though they're a perpetrator of a crime, they're also a victim. Yeah, and that needs to be better understood. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I was going to say, you just I've got like a couple more questions. Yeah, of like, course. Uh, like, have you noticed this, like in, like with within your story, like in your personal journey, have you noticed how your views have changed around it, or is there anything that is kind of you kind of first got into it because you were like, oh. I'm really interested in this and then kind of where do you feel your passions are going with it now do you so again at the start like I really was quite focused on criminology forensic psychology because again morbid like curiosity of just I'm interested in uh, how I'm interested in why someone like Ted Bundy could cut off a prostitute's head and bury it beneath his mother's window like I just find it Mm. I used to just find it interesting but now with things like that I'm just like there's definitely more of a, I want to help than rather mm. than just, I want to sit there and interview for hours. Like, I'm like, I would genuinely like to help you. Yeah, totally. I remember you saying when you first started doing your, like, because I obviously I finished, quote unquote, finished with uni before you did. I dropped out. Um, but like, I remember talking to you about your course and you were like, oh, I kind of just want to be like clinical, clinical, clinical. And then after you worked with them, I remember you being like, yeah, you know, you're very focused on kind of like not actually working with people but once you kind of like got that empathy for them I saw you were like oh I actually do want to be more hands on which is mm-hmm. awesome they, they they fucking need it yeah. yeah and they need people who care and people yeah. who want to help because mm-hmm. it's such yeah people just don't care yeah. so people like working in the psychiatric hospital when there's people who don't care because they're like because a lot of people in the hospital a lot of the patients in the hospital came from forensic services so yeah there was just such a like general attitude of like oh well they don't care they've done bad things mm. but yeah so whereas I used to just be interested now I'm interested in helping 
Yeah. And I think that goes back to that whole, like, remembering that even though there have been other victims of their crime, they, those with, I'm not saying all, because some people do just do things maliciously, yeah. but, like, there are the, there are those with mental health issues, they are also a victim of their own crimes. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of an impact do you want to, to make on the people that you want to work with? Um, I think most of it is just kind of where people try to justify what they've done and then reasoning it to them. So mm. if someone's like, okay, so I molested a child because I was molested and then kind of working through the issues with them and being like, okay, but can you see where, where, the, where the problem is? Mm -hmm. And if that hadn't happened to you, would you still have done it? And do you then want that person who you yeah do you want the person that you've molested to become a paedophile or whatever um yeah. so i think that's probably one of it's one of the hardest things to do but i think it's one of the most rewarding is mm. just kind of getting people to understand yeah and if you were to like for anyone listening is there anything you know is that that you'd recommend obviously it's fascinating stuff mm. uh, but uh, i don't know if all of us you know, have the either the compassion or at the, at the beginning, or even the drive that you've had to do do the study that, that comes with it all. Is there any are there any articles or books that you would recommend for us if people are interested who are listening? Or, or um, like documentaries or TV shows? Yeah. Okay. Um, I'd say one of the most interesting things that I read was. Um, there's quite a few papers about it. There's a systematic review, um, systematic review, which review, one of the two, on the media portrayal of um, mental health and crime compared to like the actual stats. Okay, so, so kind of like, even if just jumping on Google and just being like portrayal of, you know, um, mental health and crimes versus reality yeah. through the media or whatever, sort of. Because it's so distorted. Yeah. Maybe we could put some of that in the in the show notes and... Yeah, I'll um, I'll, I'll try and find some papers. Yeah, if you find some papers, um, link them to me, and I'll, yeah. I'll I will drop them in the description um, of the episode. Um, um, uh, on a on a side note as well, what do you find yourself doing in your spare time when you're not, uh, you know, uh, you know, doing it, being just a bit, you know, serving up some justice with the work that you do? Spare time. Um, do you find yourself pulled back into the work or? I always find like I will never scroll past something about mental health if I'm just scrolling through Facebook or something. It's it's always something that I feel like I've got to have a little nose at and be like, oh yeah. yeah. But um, you always want to like, learn a bit more. Yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. also important to be able to kind of leave your your work hat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so just it's it's really important to kind of disconnect from it as well. So. Like it's, I do make sure that I have like a lot of downtime and stuff as well because, especially when I worked in the hospital, because it would be so easy to take it home, mm. but it's mm. so important not to because you can't do anything from home to help them. So yeah, so like thinking about it and like um, being a mess over it doesn't help anyone. It yeah, makes you unable to help them more. Pretty yeah. much, yeah. No, totally, that's awesome. I've got one last question that I, I'm really interested about. Where do you feel? Well, how do you feel um, we should talk about um, mental health moving forward? Um, don't talk about it in like a very, oh, what's the word, like taboo kind of way. Like mm. 
being open and transparent about everything is just makes everything so much easier. Um, and yeah, just removing all the stigma away from it. So someone who is depressed isn't crazy. Mm. And someone who's like schizophrenic isn't crazy. They could be on meds and be perfectly competent and mm -hmm. exactly the same as any one of us. Yeah. So, mm. yeah. Kind of like, yeah. It's about having a lot, having, you know, checking, checking the judgment at the door and uh, just showing compassion. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. I, I think that's a lot of the rhetoric I've seen around this is like trying to remove that word crazy from yeah. the dialogue. Because um, it, it just, yeah, like you say, it just dehumanizes. Yeah. It's just not you helpful. Want, you want to have that compassion, you want to have that understanding. Yeah. Awesome. Nice. Thank you so much, Becky, for coming on and, and just giving us like a toe in the water, you know, just <laughs> a toe in the water of what, what you do. And, um, you know, is is there, you know, is there any way that, um, you know, you've got like a, a social media, anything on social media that you share about mental health or is there any articles? So, so do you want to have anything you want to promote now if you want to? No, I'm I'm very private on social media. Well, that's all cool. Nice. Yeah. Um, but speaking of, Speaking of promotion, uh, let's do a little bit of self-promotion now. Um, if you want to uh, listen to us on Spotify, we're On The Fringes. Um, and we're also uh, on Twitter at On The Fringes Pod. Uh, so please follow us if you want to keep updated. Um, it's the same as well. Like if you want to email us with any questions or anything like that, or leave any comments, just let us know. Um, either on Twitter or email at the same thing, On The Fringes Pod uh, at gmail.com. Um, Yes, thanks. Thank you yeah, so much, Becky, for pleasure. joining. Yeah, it's been really fun. Uh, really appreciate it. And um, thank you for joining yeah, us, James. Seeing, yeah, look forward to seeing where you where you go with your work, and maybe in like three three or four years' time, you'll be a completely different person. You know, maybe doing something slightly different in the work you do, and we'd love to hear from you again. Yeah. Um, something that we've done a couple times. Um, I don't know if you guys want to do this now, but. Um, have you got any like books or movies that like relate? Because I like to do that, just like a good like book or movie or like recommendation that kind of relates to the subject matter that you think represents mm. it well. I honestly can't think of it. Like mental health is so poorly portrayed. Yeah, for sure. It's very so, poorly portrayed in media. Yeah, I can't think of anything that I've seen that I'm like, wow, that was done really well. It's always me getting angry at something. I know I've, I have seen some I can't think of off the top of my head. So if I do remember them, I'll, I'll link them in the description as well. Um, do you rate Matt Hage book? Matt Haig. Yeah. H-A-I-G. No, I to be fair, I don't. I don't think he does. I think. Anything by Simon Baron Cohen. Anything, yeah. I mean, like, if you want to get, like, I, I've read some of his work, and if you want to get super clinical with it, um, Simon Baron Cohen, Sasha Baron Cohen's cousin, yeah. funnily enough. Crazy. Uh, super, wow. intelli super intelligent, um, like, professor of psychology, and he is amazing with yeah, it. Yeah, I think his... Um, his work on apathy is awesome. Yeah, he does a lot of stuff on autism and psychopathy and... Um, he's fascinating yeah so wow. it, it, there's a book that i read that he did um it's like it's super hardcore so like be ready for that but mm -hmm. it's um zero degrees of empathy and he talks about how oh yeah it's really clinical isn't it? yeah it's super clinical but it's like so interesting because he talks about how like some people can like watch a movie where a dog dies and like burst into tears and then other people can do like horrific things with like in not affecting them at all it's so interesting um so yeah zero degrees of empathy uh simon baron Cohen. I think that's good. All right. Oh, well, I think we'll wrap that up there. So.
thanks guys for listening and like Samuel said you can catch us on all the socials um, and we'll pop all the things in the show notes articles and yeah just once again thanks again Becky for coming on thank you for having me thank you very much cheers peace bye